My name's Chris Harper, and this is another episode of The Ledge. This week, I'm interviewing uh, digital artist and photographer Victoria West. Hi, Victoria. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks a lot, Chris, for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I've been um, looking forward to talking to you for quite a while, actually. I've been a big fan of yours and been following you on Twitter for probably a year now. That's so nice. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I actually came to know about you because uh, I saw you on a Spaces with another photographer that I really like, Jessica Cartolucci. Oh, yeah. Uh, for the 33 drop, probably. Yeah. yeah. And then I, I just started following both of you then. And uh, I, I, I got to say, like, I'm, you know, ever since I, I'm just like a huge fan of um, both of you guys and your art is just so interesting and unique. So I'm looking forward to digging into it a little bit and talking to you about it today. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Jess is fantastic. She, she is, and she's actually been a guest on our show. So I'm, uh, I'm glad I, I'm, I feel really lucky to have the opportunity to interview both of you. Thank you for your time. Tell me about yourself. Tell me your name, uh, your age, where you're from, where do you live? Uh, Victoria West. I'm 40. I don't like saying that. That's new. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I live in New Brunswick, Canada, which is just above Maine. Nice. Canadian. All right. Mm -hmm. Are you from Canada? Yeah. Yeah. You grew up there? Yes, I did. What would your parents still live there? Your parents near you? Uh, well, yeah, my mom's passed, but my dad's here. I gotcha. All right. Mm -hmm. What was your early life like in Canada? Were you as a child? Um, I mean, I had a pretty good childhood, I guess. Um, I don't know. I did uh, the normal things. I was into a lot of sports. I really wasn't uh, like artistic, I wouldn't say. No? <laughs> as a kid, not really. <laughs> what uh, What sports did you play? Um, I was a big skier when I was really young oh, and man. then, um, I started snowboarding. Like I did like race teams, stuff like that. And, uh, my dad had dreams of me being a professional golfer. Uh, so he pushed me into that for a while. I was good at it, but I quit because he refused to buy me, um, a motorized golf cart. And I was like, I'm done with this walking. You don't play but golf anymore? No, you know, he's been trying to get me to go out, but I'm so busy. I'm like, I don't have time to add another hobby into my life. I never think of that part of the world as being a big golf area. Like where I live, I live in Charleston, South Carolina. And it's like all golf courses. <laughs> you, know, you think about oh, yeah. You're well, there's still golfing here, uh, which is kind of unusual. So global warming has its perks. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> right on. What was your education like? Did you go to like private school, public school? Um, we don't really have a lot of private schools here. It's okay. not like very typical. So, um, yeah, I went to public school. Uh, I was in French immersion. It's bilingual here, okay. uh, bilingual province. So, yeah. um, I can speak French, but please don't make me do it. It's <laughs> atrocious. Um, and yeah, I did a couple years of university, but like, um, you know, when I was a kid, my dad, he had a good job, uh, but he hated it. And every weekend we would like go to the cottage or go to his house and he would always uh, start complaining about the weekend almost being over like Saturday night. He'd be like, oh, God, it's almost <laughs> Monday, you know, and he would he'd say to me, like, whatever you do, do not live your life for the weekends. That's what he said. 
And I really didn't listen to much of what he said when I was a kid, but for some reason that's what stuck. Um, so I really was not like career oriented. I just like, when I was really young, they'd say to me like, what are you going to, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I'd be like, I'll just be famous. And they were like, (laughs) how? I'm like, I don't know, but I will be. (laughs) I was like, I don't know, but there was nothing that I really wanted to do other than maybe like snowboard. I did a couple of years at university um, and then when they started taking attendance and failing me because I didn't go to class, because I was going to the ski hill instead, uh, I dropped out and I thought the only thing I really wanted to do was snowboard. So I went and I took like this travel and tourism course, which was so dumb. Um, and I would have dropped out of that, but I was like, I'm already a university dropout. I can't be a college dropout too. So um, yeah, I ended up moving out West and uh it's weird how I became a photographer. It really wasn't planned out, but um, yeah, I kind of got lucky, I guess. Right on. I love (laughs) that. that, That's awesome. I love asking people, what, what did your parents do? Um, My dad worked for like the local uh, power company Uh and essentially did like, uh, uh, like accounting kind of stuff. He has like a master's in, in, business so he's uh right i don't know he think he you know he tried to be self-employed a couple times and and tried to be an entrepreneur and it didn't work out so hmm. uh yeah he's a smart guy but he he just wasn't happy with what he was doing yeah. well probably a lot of people have jobs that feel that way yeah yeah my mom had four kids and my parents divorced when i was fairly young so she had like some jobs here and there but you know, she really didn't have like the bandwidth for a career, I guess. Yeah. You have three siblings. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. What, uh, when you say you moved out West, where were you in like the U S or in Canada? Uh, out West to Alberta. Oh, uh, right on. Okay. yeah. Yeah. When people say that here, you think of like California. So that's why I want right. to ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, who's, who's, is anybody in your family having any like artistic background or back you know experience as an artist uh none whatsoever although my mom was like kind of into interior design i guess like uh she's a bit of a do-it-yourselfer so yeah uh that's probably where i ended up like what probably pushed me into photography accidentally because i'm cheap and I didn't want to buy wall art oh. at the time. Like when I was, I'm like, I can take my own pictures. <laughs> so when, did, that's you, what when I did. did you pick up a camera? Uh, when yeah. uh, Canon released the first like consumer DSLR, the Canon Rebel. Okay. Um, which I think was like maybe 2005 or six, somewhere around there. Um, I got it. And that's when I started. What made you think, I'm going to go buy this Canon Rebel camera? Um, Actually, I was doing a business plan for um, a salon spa that I was going to be opening with um, a couple other people. And uh, we needed to take like some photographs for this plan. Um, And I was like, well, let's just get one of these cameras now and I'll figure out how to use it while where while I'm working on this stuff. So I kind of like tricked them into getting me the camera that I wanted. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how did you teach yourself how to, how to take pictures with that? Did you, are you like, did you take any classes or did you just learn yourself? 
Um, at the time, there was like a few like blogs, I guess, where it was sort of like a like a mom with camera type situation. So I guess I started learning there. Um, but I've always been pretty uh, tech savvy, I suppose. So like Photoshop, I was excited to learn Photoshop. I really, I don't know at the time if there actually were a lot of like Photoshop tutorials or courses online. There probably was. I just didn't know where to look, I'm sure. But I would say I learned the hard way, um, mostly on my own. I got you. For quite a few years. Yeah. Well, learning things the hard way is the best way to learn something, right? That you won't forget it. (laughs) If you learned it the hard way, you probably won't forget it. Well, I think I learned a lot of things the wrong way and I could have saved myself a lot of time. You know what I mean? I, I wouldn't recommend that path. I think definitely better to learn from an expert. Photoshop does have a pretty steep learning curve from, you know, my experience, my personal experience with it. Oh yeah. I wouldn't want to be starting over with it now. That's for sure. You have any art education at all? None. None. None whatsoever. No. <laughs> have you ever done any like informal art education, like, like online classes or anything like that? No. No. And you know, I really wasn't interested, uh, like at all. Uh, I wasn't a person who went to art galleries or, uh, did any of that stuff. Like <laughs> I just wasn't honestly until this space until coming in this space, I feel like I've gotten a bit of an education here. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, I was pretty clueless before that. I mean, that's, that's a pretty impressive statement considering the fact that, I mean, I went through your website and I was looking at your list of like accolades, like you're, you have a lot of awards <laughs> as a photographer. Yeah. I feel like I'm one of those people. It's like when I started, uh, when I started competing uh-huh. uh, in competition, I would, I'd go and I'd watch the judging and I would listen to all the comments that they were making. And every time an image would come up, mm-hmm. I would think to myself like, no, or yes. And I just like instantly kind of knew what, uh, like whether this was an impactful image or, uh, you know, like something bothered me about it, but uh-huh. I didn't know how to like articulate that because I wasn't trained. Right. Uh, and then listening to them articulated, I realized that I think like it came kind of naturally to me, like just knowing uh, like what looks uh, uh appealing or or how we like read something i think i just like naturally understood composition especially and those types of things but i didn't uh i didn't have the language for it so uh, yeah i've gotten an education through competition uh and that did help me a bit but yeah i guess um i kind of feel like it's it's like with any i think artistic endeavor yes you can learn you can learn definitely and you will learn but there has to be something there to begin with where it's just sort of like in like it's like part of you like it's innate yeah 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 interesting that's an interesting perspective do you remember the first thing in your life that you would ever call art that you created like as early back as you can remember yeah, I wrote some poems when I was like really young, okay. like maybe like grade two or three. And I remember people were like, wow, this is amazing. Feeling quite proud of myself oh. <laughs> at the time. What inspired and, you to uh, do that? I don't know. I honestly don't remember why I did it. If it was maybe like a, a class 
project or something like that. I, I don't, I don't recall. Um, and also I remember like drawing a few things. Uh, my, one of my uncles who, I, I guess I said I, there was no artistic people in my family. That's not true. One of my uncles mm-hmm. uh, was, is an artist, but I didn't know him okay. like at all. He wasn't in my life. I met him like one time and he taught me how to draw one thing. Um, <laughs> <Right> on. <laughs> so yeah, there's that, I guess. What inspired you to start entering into these, like these photography contests? So I've been running a studio for about 15 years and maybe around the nine, 10 year mark, I was like, I don't really want to do this exactly this for the rest of my life. Like I don't want to be tied to this physical location. Sure. I could move wherever and restart, but you're restarting, right? Right. You got to get all new clients, all that. And I don't think I have it in me to do to do that again. Uh, I don't want to. So I started thinking like what's next um, in terms of like my career and, and where I wanted to go uh, with my life. And I, you know, looking around at photographers who are doing well, most of them are teaching uh, whether they're doing like online workshops or uh, whatever, speaking engagements, stuff like that. So I thought, you know what, maybe that's what I need to do because then I can, you know, make a workshop and sell it over and over while, you know, I'm somewhere not here in Canada in the winter sort of thing. And um, I thought that the best way to be able to do that was to, number one, get well known amongst photographers, right? Have photographers uh, want to make work like me. So, so I thought competition was the way to do that. So that's why I started entering competition. Yeah. Uh, but through that, I realized, cause I did start winning like pretty quickly. I met all my goals and uh, I was getting well-known and I was being asked to speak uh, and teach and I didn't like it at all. I'd rather be doing headshots here at the studio than making a PowerPoint presentation <laughs> any day. Okay. Right. So, so like, you tried the teacher thing and you didn't like it. Right. I didn't like it. So then I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do now. Um, And then I kind of stumbled into the NFT space. Do you earn a living now solely as a photographer or solely as a digital artist? Yeah, I've been a full-time photographer since I was like 26, I think. So I haven't had another job since then. Yeah. Right on. That's awesome. And you said uh, that your goal was to like, not have to live in Canada for the winter. Where did you want to go? Uh, I'd really like to be in Europe, like somewhere like Southern Europe, ideally. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but. <laughs> I was about to ask you if you found a way to make that happen yet. Well, I mean, maybe if I get crypto rich down the road, that might be my like only hope at this point. So we'll see. Maybe the next big bull run that'll happen. Hopefully <laughs> yeah. so you'll you know, sell something for, you know, 300 ETH or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the first like digital arts that you started creating? I guess as a digital photographer, I mean, besides that, like, do you remember what got you into like the NFT digital art space? Um, well, yeah, so I never did like film photography at all. Right. So I'm, I guess you could say I'm digitally native when I, 
I went into Clubhouse uh, during COVID lockdown um, to learn something about Instagram reels that I didn't understand. And I was like, oh, this app is kind of cool, whatever. And I went back a couple times uh, and started hanging out with other photographers from like around the world, uh, which was cool. But then I started seeing these NFT rooms and I'm like, what is this? Um, and, and going in and listening and I just got like completely obsessed. Like I need to know everything about this because for me it was like, well, I knew that the thing that I like to do the most was create this art, um, that I had been making for competition, but making for competition was really making for me. Right. I wasn't trying to sell it or anything. Right. Uh, this work was coming from me, but like, you can't sell it here. Nobody's going to buy naked people in a truck and put it over their sofa here. Like, it's not going to happen. So I knew it wasn't like uh, commercially viable, but listening to what was going on in these spaces or in these clubhouse rooms, I was like, maybe there's a place for me here. Uh, and that got me like super excited. Plus I was like meeting a lot of artists from different like disciplines and mm-hmm. uh, my mind was expanding all the time in terms of like possibilities for what I could uh, create. So yeah, I jumped right in at that point. I don't know if that really answered the question. Yeah, it, it, that makes sense. I mean, I think a lot of people onboarded into the, the, the this like crypto art scene like during COVID. I mean, like, more than half the people I've talked to kind of all said that, you know, COVID, COVID kind of pushed in, pushed them into clubhouse, pushed them into Twitter spaces. And that's where they learned about it. I learned about it from the, the people thing, you know, when people sold the every days for $69 million. I mean, I, I live in the same town as people. I, I never heard of NFTs until then. Well, I mean, we all, it was that time frame, right? It was yeah. people just that huge sale. Yeah. And that's when all those rooms started exploding on Clubhouse because right. people were like, what is this NFT What is Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm not – and I have no artistic ability. So I was like, you know, I was really excited and like amped up about it. But I had no idea what I could – how, you know, where I could carve out my own niche. You know, so here we sit. Uh, and that's really cool. Do you? What was the first thing that you minted and where did you mint it? Um. it's actually kind of embarrassing what I did first. Uh, I was in a, I was in a clubhouse room and that group NFTS.tips was showing people how to mint for free. Uh, And I am notorious for being a person who just jumps in. Like that's how I like to learn by just doing, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. So I minted on mintable. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, and that was a terrible idea. Of course, I knew not one person in the space. I minted there. I thought, oh my god, I'm going to mint this, and <laughs> people are going to go crazy and buy it, and I'll be the next people. <laughs> no, I, mean, I didn't quite think that, but you know, like you, you're excited. You're like, oh my god, and then crickets. Uh, it took me, I think, like three months to figure out how to burn off of Mintable, which I did do so that no longer exists uh there's a pretty steep learning curve to onboard yourself to the nft space like the whole thing's you know there's a lot to learn well i mean i learned photoshop basically by myself so i was like i can handle this that's how i felt about it (laughs) and i actually onboarded 
myself to uh, Hikiknunk on Tezos at the same time, probably within like a few days of that. Oh, no way. Which I also burned that piece too, like an idiot. I wish I hadn't, but anyway, I burned it. I later reminted it on uh, another Tezos platform, but right. yeah, so I was, I was like late March, uh, like first week of April, 2021. Yeah. Nice. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and then, and then tell me what happened from there. Like how did, how did you, how did it expand from there? Uh, it was a little bit of a rough start. Um, I, I, it took me about a month. So after the mintable debacle, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, uh, I, it took me about a month to get a foundation invite, which I, at the time was pretty hard to, to come by. And I got my invite. I was very excited. Um, Chelsea Evanstar had recommended, oh, you should mint probably like four pieces. Uh-huh. His gas was crazy. Right. You should mint like four pieces when gas drops, but only list one. That way collectors have an idea of what's coming, you know, da, da, da. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to do that. So I, I did. And like a week later, I got an email from foundation that told me that two of the pieces were deemed objectionable and they were oh, no. uh, taking them down and I'd have to burn them. Was it because of nudity? Uh, no, because they were both on Facebook and Instagram for years and, uh, Facebook and Instagram didn't care. There was no nipples or I didn't break any of the rules, but they both had animal rights messaging and that pisses a lot of people off. Right. So, um, people obviously reported me and they decided to take it down, but it didn't last long. I posted that on Twitter and it, it went like NFT Twitter viral. I only had 300 followers, I think, at the time that it happened. I gotcha. And then I had like almost a thousand by the end of the day. And I did get a reinstatement letter from Foundation, but um, it was snarky and it bothered me. <laughs> and okay. I am uh, a woman of principle. So I was like, I'm not giving you any more of my money. Uh, so I ended up uh, ETH platform homeless. Uh, again at that point because i refused to mint on there and at that point i ended up um on tezos so i was like all tezos really early i I went through your tezos gallery on object and i mean you've got you've got a lot of like really cool stuff there yeah yeah i've i've been because i got into that ecosystem so early i've been really fortunate to have like a lot of the connections that i do over there I've been able to collaborate with like incredible people like Lawrence Fuller and code crafting uh, code crafting's like a legendary developer. Who's also a mad genius um, who I did a collab with recently and still going. Um, so it brought a lot of opportunity for me. Cause you know, like everyone's like, Oh, we're early on ETH, but like we're very early on Tez. I'd love right? to pick your brain about that sometime. Cause I'm actually really, really new to Tezos myself. Like I just started collecting on Tezos like within the last few weeks and I'm like super new to it, but it's very exciting because there's so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's a great blockchain. It's always been very art focused. And I always like to say that Tez has been my like little haven. It's really kept me sane (laughs) throughout all the craziness uh, that happens because it is very different over there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Victoria, describe yourself like your art to the people listening. Since we're not a video podcast, we're just a voice podcast. Like what, what's your, what do you call your style? You definitely have a unique style. <laughs> yeah. I, um, sometimes people will say like, I remember another photographer recommending like how you attract collectors. And he said, what, what you should do is go to some of the big sites like super rare, or whatever, mm-hmm. see who's buying work. That's, uh, you know, in your genre, similar to yours. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there's nobody. nobody. There, I, there's nobody. Like I don't. I don't fit in any uh, genre. It's. It's hard to explain. I guess for that reason, mm-hmm. I. I'm very much uh, like pushing the boundaries in terms of like photography. A lot of photographers say, you know, will say like, oh, that's not really photography. Whereas I'm like, well, if one of my images has like 30 photographs but your image is only one photograph, I would actually say this is more photography than your photography. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. yeah I, uh, I guess a lot of times people think my work is paintings. Mm-hmm. They don't recognize it as photography. Uh, so it has a painterly style, definitely. Uh, I think my work is like fairly bold and literal mm-hmm. uh which is my personality type <laughs> so right makes sense. yeah um and i like drama and uh i like yeah i like dramatic scenes i i tend to lean more towards darker uh tones like i you're, you're not going to catch me making anything with like bright colors or really anything happy uh, i'm not an unhappy person uh it's got a lot of like sexual and like almost religious undertones does that track at all does that well it's well yeah and people pick that up a lot i'm actually an atheist but i was raised in the church uh-huh. and my dad tried to brainwash me a catholic into, church uh, no anglican okay so okay you know it wasn't like it wasn't like an extreme uh religious upbringing or anything but i guess like the i feel like the stories from you know the bible and not just the bible any religion Mm -hmm. um they're very dramatic stories right yeah and there's like a magical kind of quality to them um and a lot of it is i'm very obsessed with death I'm obsessed with it. I think about it all the time. Way too much. I'm always worried. There, the dogs are going to die. People close to me are going to die. Is there a reason uh, why? Did somebody die in your life? That you so said you mentioned your mother passed away. Was there? Yeah, I def- that definitely made it a lot worse. Um, I guess now I worry about myself dying, whereas before it was it was more like I remember being a kid and every time my grandmother would go home, I would cry because I was terrified I wouldn't see her again because she would die. Um, you have like a then, fear like, of dying. Oh yeah, I definitely don't want to die uh, at all. That's a good I, thing. I, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't. And I think like also when I was uh, in my early twenties, I asked my grandmother like, "What is it like being old? Like, are you fine with being old? You feel like you lived a long time, and like that's." Fine. She was like, "No." I feel like I'm 25 years old, stuck in an old wrinkled body that can't do anything and essentially just waiting for my time to die. I was like, oh my God. So I think, I 
think that like traumatized me as well, where I'm like, oh no, this is what's coming. Uh, so I, I don't know, like um, losing my mom was definitely, um, that happened just before COVID. Uh-huh. And then I had a lot of time to sit around and think about sure. all of that. And, and with her, it was very quick. And she went from being like so vibrant, full of life, in amazing shape, like uh, just uh, so much energy and such a, she was just one of those people that everybody remembered, mm-hmm. you know, like, sure. and then to have her, to watch her just like waste away and then like be gone was such a very jarring experience, uh, not just in terms of like losing someone that you love, but also really being face to face with mortality, you know, being at hospice, seeing other people dying. Like I'd never been around that at all. And it definitely brought that to like the forefront of my mind, which then comes out through my work, which is essentially just a diary of what I'm thinking about. Did she have cancer? She did. Yeah. Yeah. I lost both my parents to cancer. So I felt all that that you just said, I totally felt that watching both of my parents go through that. Oh God, that sucks. Yeah. It's uh, you know, and it, it is like, you know, it is something that like shapes you for the rest of your life once you witness that. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. I'd say it's made me a better person to be honest. I think it, it definitely made me a much more empathetic person. Um, and someone who like, I always say when I wake, if I wake up and I don't have to be at the hospital and watching somebody die or, you know, everything's like, okay, this is a fantastic day. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled with that. Well, I bet your mother would love to hear you say that, that her death made you a better person. That's a very nice, yeah. That's a nice yeah. sentiment. It is. It's really, it's kind of beautiful actually. Yeah. Well, uh, the first thing that I saw that you, um, the first art of yours that I saw was the exsanguinate. Yes. And I will say like, you know, I'm a white straight Southern male, you know, so it like, <laughs> it made me feel a certain way when I saw that. I was like, wow, you know? And then I like thought about it. And I was like, you know, like, this is really like, I think you said the word like bold, like this is extremely bold. And it like, it like elicits like an emotion or like a feeling. And as I started looking at other things that you've done and other art that you've created, like your art has that effect. Is that, is that like something that you're, you're striving to create like an emotion in people when they see it? Well, my, does that make sense? I don't know if I asked that. Yes. No, a hundred percent. And I think that art, the whole purpose of art is to make you feel something yeah right that's what i think about art at the same time i don't set out uh with the intention to make other people feel anything when i create i am i am taking emotion and thoughts and feelings you know from me Mm -hmm. and putting them onto that digital paper you know what i mean like it's literally my diary it's like Uh, I have this, like, I have this reoccurring thought, feeling, whatever it is, vision. Sometimes it's just a vision and I need to remove it from my body and put it there. Usually I find when I do that, it like helps me, um, stop, stop thinking that like, for example, there's an image that's, uh, titled until we meet again. And it's a woman dying. It's a woman on her deathbed. And, 
when my mom was dying, uh, I remember being there at hospice and thinking like, this is the worst thing ever. Mm -hmm. And then a couple months later, COVID happened and all these people were dying alone. And then I, I kept thinking like, oh my God, like I never thought I would look at that, mo at what, what I went through mm -hmm. and with like actual gratitude, right. And see it as something that was beautiful. Yeah. Um, and we were lucky to have. So I kept like thinking that over and over and over. And then I was like, I need to make something about that. And I did. And as soon as I did it, that thought just left. Like I stopped. What was it? Obsessively thinking that. What'd you make? Which piece? That's the the one of the woman on her deathbed. I got you. Yeah. Song Maker's Place. What's the title of it? Until We Meet Again. Until We Meet Again. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. How does, so t walk me through how something, so you, you said like, you know, this starts as a vision in your head. How do you start an art project and then wrap it up and deliver it to the consumer? Like walk me through that process. Well, I don't really. <laughs> That's the thing. The, when I create, I don't think of the consumer at all. Now I do in my portrait business. That's all I do, right? Okay. It's all for the consumer, but all of this work that I've minted, that I've that I'm doing in this space, it has nothing to do with the consumer. If people don't like it, I don't really care. Which sounds bad, but it is true. I mean, would I like people to want it? Yes. Would I like people to give me lots of money for it? Definitely. Um, but it's that is not the in, the intent um, because I can make money with my camera in my business, taking pictures I don't really want to take for other people already. So I didn't need to do that here. Right. Um, but for me, like the whole process, it, it has to be really organic. Uh, it's otherwise it feels like work and I don't want to do it. Um, and I've tried and like, I tried to do a project, uh, when photography collections were first starting to take off, like summer of 2021, um, a friend of mine had said to me, like, you really should drop a collection, be the first person to do it on Tezo mm -hmm. sort of thing. And mm -hmm. I started shooting for it mm -hmm. and I stopped. I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm not feeling this. Like it just doesn't, like I wasn't feeling inspired to do it and I just didn't want to. So I, I quit doing that and I, I really wanted to stay true to myself and like uh, my process, which is essentially, I get a vision in my head. That's like, it's almost like someone put it there. Like it just appears instantly and I see the image and then I go about figuring out how I'm going to make it. But the vision is clear. Uh, and that's like how probably 98% of my work is made. Um, there's maybe been a couple pieces that I didn't have like a super clear vision. And uh, I kind of worked through it maybe like during the shoot or the editing process. But usually it's very clear. Um, in terms of like going about selling it or whatever. Um, I kind of look at, at this space, like if I sell it, that's awesome, but it's like a bonus. I'm just happy to have a place where I can like put my work and actually have people want to look at it and talk about it. <laughs> and like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's very like gratifying to have somewhere other than competition to actually 
be able to put your art. Let's talk about one of your like most iconic uh, photographs. It's the one it's called humane meat. And it's, there's like a bunch of women like in a cage on the back of a box truck and they're all like the chained and naked. Yes. How did, so where does that start in your head and how do you end up creating this, you know, like walk me through like how you get the box truck and 20 women to get naked and get in a cage, (laughs) you know, how do you do that? Like, how do you go through that process? Walk me through it. Yeah. That was a challenge. That's for sure. That's a lot. That was one of the images that I didn't have a perfectly clear vision of how it was going to turn out. I knew the concept, but I wasn't sure what I was going to be able to find, (laughs) right. Or what I was going to be able to. So I was flexible on that one, but, um, the concept, like I am an animal rights activist and a vegan okay. and uh, the way that I view the world is very different than the way that I used to view the world. Mm-hmm. Like before uh, I, it, it does change your perception significantly. So um, it's like the only way I can kind of explain it is like most people really like dogs, right? Mm-hmm. Most people really like dogs. Mm-hmm. So I say, imagine if every time you were going to the grocery store, you had to see dead dogs everywhere and everyone, you know, is eating dogs and there's dogs on tables, like dressed up with apples in their mouths and all these things, like just try to put a dog in that place. And, and people, people will kind of get it. Uh, I think better, like they'll understand my perspective a bit better when I say it like that, just in the terms of like how I feel about things, but I think what's most powerful is when we put ourselves in the place of someone else to kind of like, you know, walk in someone else's shoes, as they say. So for me, um, (laughs) I'm always trying to get people to like understand my perspective, uh, especially when it comes to that, because uh, that's that's something that's very important to me. So that image, that's what that image was created for. I wanted to. Uh, I, so slot, like when I see animals in trucks on their way to slaughter, Mm -hmm. uh, what those animals look like and what they've been through, where they're going, the fear in their eyes and the, the strangeness, right? Like the, the, the juxtaposition between the reality of their reality versus the normalcy that we put on this process is like very, uh it like to me it's just so insane it just it's like the most it's like a something from a horror movie uh and it is for them as well but like to most people like you don't even see it you don't think about it so i wanted to put humans in the place of animals and and the concept being i wanted an alien uh to be doing that to us because uh if aliens come they're clearly going to be more intelligent than us and more you know powerful and capable all the things we are to non-human animals right right? right. so it's like well shit what if they treat us the same way we treat quote-unquote lesser beings um and i just wanted people to think about that so how did i go about making it um Getting models is hard for me. Uh, for a normal shoot, it's hard for me because yeah. there is no modeling agencies here. Uh, there, I I had seven women. That's all I had. That's from. I, it looks like a lot more. I guess you. I multiplied them. I got gotcha. you. 
Yeah. I thought I to agree to take off their clothes and get into a cage on a truck. Oh yeah. I mean, there's dentists in that group. Like there's like, like you wouldn't, uh, one of my hairstylists, uh, make one of my makeup artists, one of my good friends. Like it's amazing that people volunteer to do this, uh, for me. I have a good reputation like locally with my business. So people do trust me, uh, luckily. Um, and yeah, they, so they agreed to do this and, um, I, so I photographed these women in a few different positions. Yeah. Um, I had three metal bars. That's all I had. Three bars um, that my assistant uh, found in her garage. Okay. Uh, and she, so there are people holding onto bars. I needed there to be like a physical interaction. Yeah. But then I actually built the cage in Photoshop by wow. photographing the bars at all different angles and then piecing them together. Do you know how long that took? Like I'm a Gentlemen. crazy person. I'm an absolute crazy person. Building the cage alone took me forever. That's insane. Um, multiplying the women, changing their hair color, changing their facial features, uh, aside from all the different poses that I put them in. And then the truck, I didn't know where I was going to find the truck because I wanted it to look kind of vintage, like it could be from any time, any place. I didn't want to, like, you know, commercial look. Yeah. And I looked out my studio window one day and I saw that truck sitting in a parking lot. Um, so I waited till a cloudy day and then I went out and I took a photo of it. Now it had a big white back, you know, a big white container on the back of it, which I took off and replaced it with the cage. <laughs> um, funny story. I almost died by getting run over, run off the road by that truck in a snowstorm. Could you imagine if that truck <laughs> killed me? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was on the wild. highway, literally almost went off the highway and then realized it was the meat truck that had almost killed me. Um, That's so, so cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, her, I put the truck in. Um, I made the alien by the hardest way possible. In retrospect, I could have been so much easier but uh the alien's actually my husband who is also the <laughs> naked guy in all the pictures the naked guy is my husband okay um it's just there's just one guy i only have ever photographed one naked guy <laughs> i was um, gonna ask you how you get all these naked guys to say yes too like it's so <laughs> yeah no it's just him and he has to do it because we're married and that's his job so oh, man you're um, like blowing my mind right now there's so <laughs> much i want to say about all of this you've just <laughs> So yeah, that one, um, I made the alien with him. Like I had my assistant drag him slowly across the floor. He was like kneeling on like a sheet. So yeah, I put him in and then I uh, put the writing on the truck and away I went. That's how I made that. That's how I made that. Turning the light on in that truck probably took me three days to figure out how to do that properly. Um, Cause of course the truck wasn't actually running and it wasn't night. There's a, lot, there's a lot that goes into to one of these. Oh, so much. It sounds like people, people are like, oh, just, uh, you know, make a collection. I'm like, are you out of your mind? Do you know how long it would take you to make a collection of this? I'm like, each one of those pieces, the idea itself will usually have to like bounce around in my head for some of them. I was, I was saying, I was thinking your poor husband, <laughs> like you got you got him posing for all of these. Oh, I was just clicking through there here. It didn't dawn on me that this was all just one guy until you just did yeah. that. Like, that's so crazy. Yeah, he hates it. 
He totally hates it, except that sometimes he ends up in like really cool places. Like Exsanguinate was in a gallery in Milan. And I mean, honestly, that's pretty cool. Like, right. And you, and I'm like, who at 48 years old gets to be naked in a gallery in Milan? Look at you. You should be proud of yourself. (laughs) No doubt. I mean, mean, he's, you know, and he's obviously, he's in great shape. (laughs) That's, uh, that's, that's very, very cool. I, uh, how did you be, I wanted to go back back and just talk to you for a second. How did you become a, a vegan? I'm, I was interested in that. I've um, been a vegetarian myself on and off much of the last decade. And I was very uh, uh, compelled by the things you were saying. I have some of the same like actual thoughts, you know, about food. Uh, yeah. You know what? It was very accidental. I was, uh, like my favorite food was beef jerky, mm-hmm. steak, cheese. It's like all that I ate. I didn't like vegetables. If you told me I'd be vegan when I was like 20 years old, I would have laughed in your face. Same. Preposterous, ridiculous, never going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but I also have always been a person who considered myself an animal lover. I have five dogs. Um, mm-hmm. And this is what happens when your parents don't let you have the pets that you want when you're children. So parents take note. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I watched this documentary called Vegucated on Netflix. I didn't even want to watch it. My boyfriend at the time was like, I'm watching this. And I said, please don't put that on. <laughs> he was, anyway, he put it on. He fell asleep. I watched it by the end of it. That documentary was actually about health. Uh, and it really like, uh, it showed me that a plant-based diet was actually superior for your health. And I was like, what? I had no idea because I was under the uh, belief that uh, we needed to eat animal products to really be healthy and that vegans were sacrificing their health uh, for animals, which I thought was really awesome of them. But I was like, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to die sort of thing. Right. Right. Um, So as soon as I found that out, I was like, I don't have an excuse anymore to be killing animals. So I immediately stopped eating land animals, but that was, uh, I didn't know anything about the dairy and egg industries at the time. Um, And I thought fish were essentially sea vegetables. So I didn't think they mattered either. Each time I would watch something, it would be a progression. I'd watch something. I'm like, oh my God, uh, I don't want to kill animals, but I'm, I'm consuming dairy, which I had no idea was still killing animals. So what is the point of not even eating them if I'm still eating dairy? So I don't like to be like, I try to be as ethical as possible. I, I, I want to be uh, s- someone who I can be like proud of. Like, I don't want to do things that I think are wrong. And every time I found out about this, I was like, okay, well, this is something that is wrong and I don't want to support it. So I would tell my husband, we can't eat dairy anymore. And he was like, what the hell are we going to eat? I'm like, I don't know. But I never even met a vegan. When we went vegan, I had never met a vegan in my life. Wow. Didn't know one, had no idea what I was going to do. Um, so it just, yeah, it was like one documentary at a time got me there. It took about a year and a half from the first documentary to like full vegan. And that was, uh, almost nine years ago now. That's really, that's really interesting, Victoria. I mean, that's actually about the same time that I, um, became a vegetarian and I I had an almost similar experience. I watched, uh, a vice episode 
about like commercial farming. And then within like the same very like short time period near that, I had a, uh, an incident where I got food poisoning from meat, um, like off a breakfast bar at a hotel. And like, I had like this, like, I don't even know how to even really describe it other than like a spiritual experience where I like kind of recognized that like, like this commercial farming and like the meat industry and like all of that stuff was like, just like, it was just like this dark energy in the world, you know, and that we were like consuming it, you know? And I had like, like just like this huge mental shift about food around that time. It was really interesting to listen to you talk about that. Yeah. I think for me too, I really related a lot of it to my dogs. Like I saw pigs being slaughtered in that first documentary and in their eyes, I saw my dogs. I was like, they know exactly. Yeah. They don't want this to be happening. They're terrified. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why I had never recognized that before. I mean, we're conditioned not to think about that or not. You know, pigs are for eating. That's what we're told. Yeah. So they're fine with being killed, right? No, they're they're very intelligent. It was like, oh my god, if I wouldn't do that to my dog, why would I do that to, you know, any other? animal that doesn't want to die and it was yeah it was a total it was a total shift in the way i viewed the world and it was a very dark and scary world for a while um it takes a bit to like kind of work through that because at first you find this stuff out and you're like oh my god i'm gonna go tell the people who are closest to me and they're going to be like, oh, my God, I also can't support And instead, they're like, shut up, crazy person. All right. Now that you're vegan, we don't want to hear anything you have to say anymore. And I was like, what? Oh, uh, OK. So, yeah. It was, I'm like a it was, biker in construction and I live in the South. You, know, you can imagine like when I'm telling my friends, like, I can't eat meat anymore. They're like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, shut up. Yeah. Oh, totally. It's worse for men, definitely. But you know what? Like, I have a friend who's vegan now. He used to be a butcher. He was literally a butcher, and he has gone vegan. Yeah. Um, sometimes you just you don't know like how it's going to connect for people. Right. Like you said, like your experience, you just don't know. But <laughs> you definitely can't force it on people. They have to kind of come to it yeah. on their own. Yeah. But you can put things in their path. That might help them. <laughs> that might help them. Well, I'm sorry to digress down that, that rabbit hole, but I think it's really interesting, and I, I want to, I love finding that stuff out about people. If we're going to get back to NFTs, let me ask you a question: What do you collect? Do you collect other people's works? And if so, who? yeah, yeah. I well, I have a really large collection on Tezos, uh, a, a smaller collection on ETH. I have collected a bit there, but. Um, it wasn't as accessible for me. Uh, mostly on ETH, I tried to make money on PFP so I could buy more art, and that didn't really work out for me. <laughs> as a lot of people, have you had any? Have you had any success like making money in NFTs, but outside of selling art? Uh, like I'm stuff? definitely not on ETH. Yeah. No, I, I definitely like lost my shirt over there. Right. That's for sure. Uh, Tezos is, is different. Um, but I am a diamond hander to the 10th degree. I hate letting go of anything. Um, I don't collect art to flip it. I collect art that I like. 
uh, with the intention of keeping it long-term. I mean, if those artists get huge and it, you know, becomes worth a ton of money and it would make a difference in my life, then yeah, I'll sell it. But right on. that's not, that's definitely not why I've been buying it. Right on. Um, I do have, uh, like a really large collection on Tezos, mostly art. And then I do have um, some of the collectibles as well. Yeah. I, uh, I, uh, I went down that rabbit hole when I first kind of jumped into NFTs myself and I thought, Oh man, I'm going to get rich flipping art. And then I, you know, but I'm the same as you. I, I can't sell. I like have a problem when it comes to selling stuff. Cause I like my stuff. Exactly. Yeah, that makes it <laughs> that makes it difficult. My friend Crip King calls me a hoarder. So he, he's like, "You are an actual hoarder." Well, you can uh, you can be a digital hoarder, and it doesn't you know it doesn't clutter up your life. It just clutters up your ledger, I guess. <laughs> right? I, yeah, I don't I don't buy anything except NFTs. So my house is pretty like minimal. Uh, yeah, this it is addictive. That's for sure. Who, who collects your work? Like, who are your collectors? And do you, how do you um, maintain, how do you curate or maintain relationships with your collectors? Uh, well, on Tez, every artist is a collector, pretty much. So all my artist friends are my collectors over there. Uh-huh. Um, and then there are also like some collector collectors who aren't artists um, who collect from me. I guess they wouldn't be like so well known. Um, on ETH, I have been lucky to be collected by like some really fantastic people. Um, I guess like you wouldn't collect from me just because I, I never was the person who was like, you know, blowing up and on the front page of anything. So they bought my work because they genuinely liked it, which makes very good collectors. Um, Mondor Mm -hmm. owns three of my favorite pieces. Uh, so he's, he's, he's amazing. Yeah. Right. 33, right. You're like curated by 33. I was curated by him, but he actually has never bought any of my work, okay. which uh, I don't think his like team realized that they were like, Oh, how did you end up here? Uh, Let's so, tell him. Yeah. 33, you got to buy something. From <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. um, I chat with him sometimes on t- uh, Twitter DM. So I'll make sure he. Oh, nice. Yeah. No, they're, they're a cool team for sure. Awesome. And yeah, um, yeah, they're, they're- also comfy devil. Uh, he's awesome. He's, he bought a piece for me on super rare. Uh, well, technically he bought it on the secondary, but tell me about being uh, in, getting on, onboarded to super rare. How'd that work for you? And, uh, I actually never applied to super rare, uh, for a couple of reasons. First is because I had been on a lot of different platforms and each time I got there, I was like, Oh, this is going to make a difference. And it didn't. So I was just like, whatever. Also super rare wanted me, wanted everybody to like make a video and I'm very video adverse. And I'm like, Ugh, I don't, I just felt like there was no way I was going to put in a video and they were going to accept me. So why would I do that? Cause everybody wanted on super rare and the only people who were getting on super rare were people who were being like brought in, in my opinion, that's what it appeared to be. Like it wasn't like put in your application and you get accepted at the time mm-hmm. at the time. Right. Now it's different. Um, so there was a tweet, they did a tweet where it was like, who has a really unique style in this space? And I was like me. I put my work in it. <laughs> and for some reason, I don't know why, like a lot, Twitter usually hates me, but for some reason, 
uh, a lot of people who know me decided to comment on that <laughs> and it got super rare's attention and they sent me an invite. Uh, they invited me on. So I didn't even have to make the video. So that was January. Nice. Um, yeah, I was super excited, but also I was, uh, my expectations at that point had been like very tempered by the space. Mm. You know, I wasn't all like new and shiny and uh, high expectations. So I, uh, yeah, I wasn't like expecting it to like really change the course of anything. And I don't, it didn't, mm -hmm. uh, but it also wasn't terrible. Like I've, I've, uh, I've got five pieces on there. Two are sold, three are not. Um, but yeah, I reached a new ath, I guess, which probably would have happened if it wasn't for Super Rare. Well, that's really awesome. And congratulations for getting onto Super Rare because I think that's a big deal for any artist. Thank you. Uh, what do you use besides a camera and uh, Photoshop? Do you have any other tools that you use to create your artworks? Uh, well, most of the art, uh, was created with just those two okay. things. Mm -hmm. Uh, but more recently, like over the last year, some of the newer work incorporates AI. So oh. I've used AI to make upgrades, uh, to some older work. And, um, talk me through I've, that. What AI are you using? How do you, how does that work for, for people listening that don't know what that is? We just kind of explain it so the there's a piece on object on tezos uh titled gabriel and it's a man with armor he's wearing armor the armor i created using so he was actually naked <laughs> in the photo right. i made the armor in uh one of the earlier ai platforms called Snowpixel that a lot of people were using like this time last year, mm -hmm. it didn't hold a candle to what people are using now. So I was essentially getting like textures that I was able to produce out of that. And then I was blending them and warping them and coloring them and doing all of these things to them to create a wardrobe right. that I didn't have. Right. So that was uh, the first time I did it. And, um, yeah, I'm looking there, at this right now, and it's—I guess that's your husband, right? And yeah, he's got like this kind of like winged-looking, almost armor, body armor, that, and that all of that's created in AI. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I showed you the AI output, you would be like, you'd have to look hard to figure out where I got it from <laughs> exactly. Is there, uh, is the tattoo on his arm—is that his tattoo? Yeah, it is. It yeah. kind of like flows with the armor a little bit. Like it almost kind of like works together, right? Yeah. Usually I take his tattoos off, which is very annoying because he has a lot uh -huh. um, and I'm always multiplying him. Yeah. So, but yeah, I felt like it worked for that one in particular. Yeah, no, so yeah. I did leave it for one, but um, yeah, so I did the collaboration with code crafting and the um, masks for the punishment are all made in, in uh, Dolly, but they, everything I'm doing, like I'm, I'm using them as uh, just sort of like another tool. It's just another tool for me. Um, I haven't really experimented too much with it yet in terms of creating backdrops and stuff, right? Every, I only shoot in a studio. So every image that you see that looks like it's outside is not. I've, I shoot uh, everything, 
Like I'll be driving down the road and I'm taking pictures with my cell phone for skies, good skies, bushes, roads, dirt, uh, weird, uh, just I'm constantly taking pictures of things that I will build a backdrop out of, mm-hmm. which takes a ton of time. How do you and manage also- all of those images? Like how, like just the management of that is probably a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, I, I use like Lightroom catalogs and stuff. It's, it's, yeah, it's not that big of a deal, but, um, AI for me opens up a lot of possibility because I'm like, well, what if I can generate these locations that don't really exist? Because that's always what I'm creating locations that don't really exist or that I wouldn't, that I just don't have access to. right? Right. Um, so I'm excited about it, but I still need, it's, it's not easy. I put in, I've been trying to generate slaughterhouses. Don't ask me why. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, well I'll wait. I can't wait to see what you come up with. <laughs> uh, do you use social media besides Twitter? Do you use anything else? Uh, well, for my like portrait business, mm-hmm. uh, I have like a Facebook presence. Uh, gotcha. And that's really, most of my clients are like 40 plus. Uh, so Facebook was always like the place where they were. I do have an Instagram that I am like woefully neglecting since Twitter, even worse. I mean, I never was really into it, but Twitter takes a lot of bandwidth. I just saw, (laughs) I just saw some posts today on Twitter that, um, Instagram's going to start like integrating NFTs into their, um, into their platform and like artists will be able to like mint buy and sell. We'll be able to mint buy and sell NFTs from Instagram. Yeah. We were talking about that last night. Uh, it's like one of those things where I'm like, that's cool. But also I'm like, but (laughs) (laughs) people either really, really. Yeah. There's a lot of like strong emotions about those platforms and Facebook, I guess as a company. Yeah, definitely. One more question about how do you um, value your art? Like how do you decide what something's worth, what a floor price should be? How do you see like that as an aspect of like selling art on the internet? Uh, Well, I, I actually teach like pricing. uh, Like I often teach pricing to other photographers for commercial work. Right. Right. So, um, I come at things very much from that, like what makes financial sense perspective, like what are my costs? What is the time involved? What should I be getting paid an hour? How much tax am I going to pay? All of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't just like make up a number, you know, willy nilly type of thing. At the same time, I have, I have, and uh, in the past and still do underprice my work based on, how much time I actually am spending on it because the reality is um, like what I get paid for headshots is more than I get paid for selling this work. <laughs> right? It is. It's the truth. Yeah. But um, I never made this work with thinking I'd ever get anything for it. Right. So I was kind of like willing to, um, I selling it was just a bonus. So I was like, well, we'll, we'll start here and see how it goes. Um, But yeah, I mean, it depends on the piece too. Like if I'm doing like a more straight portrait, uh, like I did with the collaboration uh, with code crafting, 
while there is a lot of them, they don't equal like the amount of time, like, like you may need the truck one, for example. What's going on with you and code crafting and that, um, then that collaboration. I, I, I looked at that and it looks like a, it's a, it's a picture and then it like has a progressive, like, like it deteriorates and turns into like a skeleton. Yeah. So that is a, nobody understands what's happening uh, with that project or very few people, but it's, it's like, uh, it's something I'm super proud of and really excited to be a part of it. uh, It has not been done before. And I'm not talking about just the art. I'm talking about the entire thing. So uh, I'll try to sum it up, not take too much time here, but essentially uh, I went to him with the idea for a piece of art where I, where I progressively age someone from child all the way to very elderly. Um, and I wanted it to, well, I could have just done it in like a video format. I wanted it to be interactive. I was inspired by uh, what had been done by Ben Strauss uh, and Transient Labs, where they did a landscape that was all four seasons, uh, but you could actually touch it and change it, which I didn't even realize that was something that could be done. But when I saw it done, I reached out to him with my idea, like, can I do that with a person? Cause I'm obsessed with, you know, aging and dying. So can I, can I do that? And they're busy. So I just kind of put the, the idea to the side. And then, um, while I was speaking with code who I, I actually met him as one of my collectors. He was one of my biggest collectors on Tez. Um, and he was the dev on a lot of the collectible projects there. And he was always very busy and mentioned that he was interested in starting to work with artists more. So I jumped all over that. I was like, hey, do you want to do this? And he said yes. And then he came back a couple weeks later after I gave him the artwork for it mm-hmm. saying, I have an idea because I was actually going to do two pieces, right. two different pieces. Um, and he was like, what if we mint the same piece as a one of one and as additions, but the one of one acts as a controller for all the additions. I was like, Ooh, I love that idea. That sounds fun. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. And then he comes back like another week or so later. He's like, okay, what if, the controller controls the additions, but the addition holders get to vote on what they want. And if the controller doesn't do what they want, we punish them by making the NFT change into something different. And I'm like, oh my God. And then it went further. Okay, what if, if the community of the addition holders don't work together like the votes to split, we punish them too. And I'm like, yes, I'm all for these punishments. So the first piece. It's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so the first piece was called Genesis right. and it is a woman aging from child, you know, mm-hmm. to elderly. Yeah. And we did not anticipate the level of degeneracy we were going to see in the Tezos art community. I mean, these people, formed factions it, the drama went on for a month and a half like they were fighting each other um trying to there were people were minting nfts and sending them to other people as bribes to get them to vote for their team um 
So there's a website that you go to and you connect your wallet and you put in your vote on how you want the NFT to like, uh, how fast you want it to move and all of those things. And, um, yeah, so we just came out with the second one, which we did just before Halloween. Wow. Uh, it's called Framework, and it is a woman who turns into a skeleton. She's wearing, like, a ruff, and uh, same idea. Uh, she decays, so she goes from full human to uh, decayed skeletal face. We dropped it uh, just before Halloween, and the punishment this time is actually, like, five or six different horrific clown faces. I thought, what is the worst punishment I could give to people? Uh, clowns. Everybody hates clowns, right? Uh, turns out that there are many sick, twisted individuals in the Tezos art community who love clowns. So now there are people who are trying to get themselves punished because they like the clowns. Um, and then we also... Every night at midnight, no matter what your time zone is, if you go look at that at midnight in your time zone, the clowns will be there for 13 minutes, which is very creepy. And I love it. Okay. This is really, really, really cool. Right? <laughs> I know, and nobody knows what's happening know, except for like, yeah, a small group of people. I know, but it's so awesome. Like the innovation and in art, you know, this experimental like art is so it's just so freaking cool what's going on. Like, and you and like uh, quite a few other artists that I've talked to all have like these, these like ideas and these things that are, that you're working on that are so like, you know, out of the box and experimental and, and so freaking cool. Like, that's really awesome. It sounds like, it sounds like this drops going really well for you. The, the, I mean, it's been incredibly fun. Uh, you, it's so entertaining. Like, have you had any whole, thoughts of taking it to like to ETH, or are you going to stay on Tez with that? Well, code is all code crafting. He's all Tez. Like he's all Tezos. It would be weird for him to do anything elsewhere. Uh-huh. Uh, for me, it wasn't about Tez or ETH. It was who will do this with me. Yeah. Um, and he is the guy. So it will stay on Tez. The third one will be around Christmas. I already know exactly what I'm doing. And I'm really excited for this one. Uh, it's going to be uh, very much in my style, uh, like what people expect from me. But then also there's going to be a component that's just going to like, it's not going to be something you forget. Let's just put it that way. Right on. Um, <laughs> I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I mean, this this is art. You know, everybody talks about like, oh, we want utility. And, and it's all about community. I'm like, here is art with utility and community that's actually like fun and different. But I mean, financially, like we're barely making anything off it when you split it between us. Like it's not a big um, financial thing, but it's to me, it being able to work with him and what this piece will be going forward, because it will be the basis of new contracts that he's making on Tez that will be a manifold type of contract but but allows you to plug in other contracts which means the owners of the nft and their behavior can change the nft itself yeah it's so wild right like what does that mean going forward so i think that this is going to be something that becomes a, a part of tezos history for sure but potentially you know beyond that that's crazy 
I had another um, photographer that I talked to. Her name's Michelle Viljon, and she had a uh, and she has you know hers is on ETH, but you know she built it into her contract where um, the holder of the NFT can add their own story, and then as it changes hands, each person that holds this artwork gets to add to their story. You know, like write a story. So, I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff happening, you know, like this is so what you and code crafting are doing is just so like next level. Like it's, it's his, it's his, it's history. You know, you guys are going to go down in history, I think is um, changing the game for artists. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so lucky to be able to do this with him. So super grateful for his mad genius. Um, and hoping that he'll just want to keep doing this like forever with me. <laughs> like, well, the, well, the art, well, the art is awesome, and, and if you have a good reception from the collectors, then why wouldn't you? I guess we're running out of time, and I I'm, I regret that because I would like to keep talking to you. Is there anything that uh, that I didn't ask you, or that you would want to say about yourself, your art, or your vision of the future for this space that I didn't ask you? No, I mean, not specifically. I, uh, I'm involved in like a lot of, uh, areas, I guess, in the space. And like, I believe in it as a whole, like outside of just myself and, uh, basically in closing, like I believe a lot in this space. I'm super excited about where it's going. Um, I try to be as involved as possible. Uh, I do a lot of Twitter spaces and we try to like, uh, help people as much as we can. I've done a lot of onboarding um, and things like that, but yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like I really couldn't anticipate where I am now a year ago and where I'll be next year. I, I don't know, but yeah, I'm, I'm here for the long run. That's for sure. Well, I, I, as a fan and of your art, I can't wait to see where you end up and uh, I will, uh, I will definitely be following along. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on and talking to me. Where can people find out about you? What's the best place to find you, Victoria, if they're looking to look at your art or follow you on socials? Uh, well, definitely Twitter. Okay. Uh, I'm at vwestphoto underscore nb on Twitter, or you could just search Victoria West and probably pop up there. Um, and also, I have a lot of like. Uh, you can Google me pretty easily. I have a, a website that I promise won't steal all your crypto. It's just uh, <laughs> VictoriaWestPortrait.com. Um, I have a specific NFT website on there that has, uh, although I do need to update it with the last few pieces, it has most of my artwork on there. So you don't have to search around through all the platforms. You can go look at all the art in one place and um, all of my kind of info there it's like a website i made to make collectors jobs easier yeah i noticed that you had a um you had a um a gallery on there too that you had built yeah yeah i've got uh crypto voxels i'm actually crypto voxels land baron uh so (laughs) yeah i have i have a gallery uh one of my own and then i have like a community gallery there too right on so there's a lot of good things i'll put all the links to that in uh the bottom in the show notes Thank you so much for uh, for giving me some of your time today, Victoria. I really appreciate it and uh, look forward to watching where your career goes. Well, I really appreciate this. Thank you so much. It was awesome.